Afternoon, everyone. It's good to be together. You guys had the sleep in this morning. Um, us 10 o'clockers did not. But it's good to be together. Um, thanks, Alana, for sharing. Um, really appreciate hearing your insights and the challenges of living as a young woman in the context you're in. So, thank you. Um, we <coughs> will be having the Bible reading in a moment. Um, and I thought I'd just open up with a few thoughts. Um, the Bible contains wonderful stories. And these stories about Elijah uh, and the prophet to follow him, Elisha, um, are fascinating. Uh, take some time during the week to read from 1 Kings 17 onwards for about 10 chapters. These stories are worth enjoying. They make us smile, they make us curious, and they're designed to strengthen our faith. Let's pray and then we'll get into the, um, the recap. Great King of Heaven, uh, we worship you. We've just sung of you and we know that we have lowly hearts um, that need to be filled by you. We thank you that you can be our full um, joy as we commit ourselves wholeheartedly to you. And so we pray that the next half hour or so that you would speak um, as each one of us needs to hear from you and that you would combine that with faith and that we'd respond with joy and love and obedience. Amen. Now today we're picking up on our series uh, called Meeting the Lord Up Close and Personal uh, and the slide behind me will show where we have been. It's been a bit of a highlights package uh, where we've um, looked at close encounters uh, with the Lord when he revealed himself personally to some of the big name characters in the Bible. So you remember right back at the beginning, we looked at Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 2. And then in Genesis 12, Abraham on the journey. And we met with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, and then Moses on the mountain in Exodus 34. And then we were with David in his palace in 1 Chronicles 17. Today we'll be, we'll be joining Elijah in the deserts, and then next week, Isaiah in the temple. Now to truly appreciate these stories about Elijah, it's important to know the meaning of his name. Elijah, or Eliah, comes from two Hebrew words, El and Yah. El means God and Yah is short for Yahweh, the personal name of the Lord. So the name Elijah can be a statement of truth. Yahweh is God. Or it can be a statement of faith. Yahweh is my God. And we can also notice the New Testament equivalent of his name. Jesus is Lord or Jesus is my Lord. So Elijah had a unique ministry as a prophet of Yahweh, calling out the idolatry of his day. His name embodied both his message and his mission. And as we will see, it put a target on his back. Now let's get oriented. We are 150 years after King David, and this map behind me um, has all the key places that will pop up in our story. Our friend Elijah was a prophet. He lived in Samaria in the northern kingdom, 
when it was under the control of a particularly bad king called Ahab and a particularly nasty wife called Jezebel. Listen to how they're described in chapter 16, 30 and 31. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, there was a time when we as a family living in South Sudan had the war come to our village. And I remember experiencing a fear in my heart that I had never noticed before. I got a glimpse of what unrestrained sinful humanity is capable of. And I realized that my life up until that point, I'd taken for granted the Lord's many kindnesses in restraining human sin in my life, including my own. But as those restraints were removed, it was terrifying. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel consciously gave themselves over to the dark and evil practices of the Baals and the false god Asherah. What would it have been like for faithful believers living under this evil for 22 years? There are Psalms in the Bible especially written to guide our prayers when evil is rampant. These words are from Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Protect us forever from the wicked. They freely strut about when what is vile is honoured by the human race. Into this spiritual darkness, the Lord sends Elijah, the man who is his message, Yahweh is God. Elijah suddenly appears in the first verse of chapter 17, and he preaches a one-sentence sermon to King Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in Israel in the next few years except at my word. Idolatry has its consequences, and this king is being called to account. This is the sort of sermon that will get you killed. So the Lord tells Elijah to leave Ahab's kingdom. And what that means is the word of the Lord and the truth and hope that comes through it goes with him. Now let's pause for a moment. Drought is bad and famine is devastating. But what is worse than both is a famine of the word of the Lord. A people cannot survive without the life-giving word of the Lord. You and I cannot survive without the life-giving words in our Bibles. We must not take them for granted. We must take them to heart and live by them. Now let's fast forward to the start of chapter 18, 1 and 2, and then verse 17. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and then I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to Ahab. When he saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? 
Ahab refuses to call Elijah by his name. For an idol-worshipping king to say Yahweh is God is an intense irritation. Elijah makes it clear to Ahab, I am not the troubler of Israel. You are. This famine has come because you abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. And what follows is the dramatic showdown on Mount Carmel. One lone faithful prophet of the Lord standing firm against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Take some time this evening to read it. It's an absolute ripper of a story. But a spoiler alert. The Lord answers Elijah's prayer and exposes the powerlessness of idolatry. The false prophets are killed, their altars are smashed, and then Elijah looks up in the distance and sees on the far horizon a wisp of a cloud, and then the rains come tumbling down. The last verse, 46, will make you laugh. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to, Israel, to Jezreel. Carmel to Jezreel is 50 kilometers. If we had Eliud Kipchoge, the fastest marathoner ever running, Elijah would have beaten him. So now we're in context and we're ready for chapter 19. So Mary, if you'd like to come up and we'll read chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. <clears throat> there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, 
Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shavhat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphath. He was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak round him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you, he said. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So we'll explore this story uh, with six headings, and we'll look at some application on the way and also at the end. And we'll also take note of the links to the Lord Jesus. You may have noticed some along the way. How do these Elijah stories help us see the Lord Jesus? So Jezebel's hatred and rage. The rains have come and the famine has eased. You would think this would be good news. But at the heart, <clears throat> the hearts of Ahab and Jezebel are hard. When Jezebel hears what has happened, she goes nuts. It says Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. This is payback religion. Now let's pause for a moment. It's easy to think of idolatry as something that happens in those other cultures. But it's actually something that every one of us participates in. Human beings are wired for worship. We either worship the Lord, the one true God, or our hearts become captured by something or someone else. Instead of worshipping our creator, we worship something that he has made. 
And we get tricked into thinking an idol is something out there. No, <clears throat> it's the relationship of our hearts to the idol that makes it idolatry. Idolatry happens when we try to use any created thing to make life work separate from the Lord. When we put our trust in a something else to give us what we desire. Or when we allow a something else to rule our hearts, a role that only the Lord deserves. Now by this definition, Australia is full of idolatry. Most modern idolatry is socially acceptable and not even seen for what it is. We may not have uh, prophets of Baal or Asherah poles, but open your eyes and you will see the worship of possessions and people and performance and power and prestige. People like us trying to make life work by using these idols instead of trusting the Lord. Idolatry is never good for us. It's full of false promises. It always traps and entangles and deceives and destroys. And when our idol is removed, when our idolatry is exposed as fragile and powerless, it often evokes a violent reaction from our heart. Fear or despair, frustration, or in Jezebel's case, rage. For Jezebel, her world had come crashing down. The Baals that she was trusting in for power and position and control, they had been publicly exposed as weak and powerless. But instead of humbling herself before the greatness of the Lord, Jezebel hardened her heart even further. And what became the focus of her hatred and rage? The one named Eliah, Yahweh is God, the man who is his message. Jezebel vows to hunt Elijah down and rid the earth of him. So Elijah's fear and despair, in verse 3, it says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. In fact, Elijah ran from the northern kingdom to the southernmost town of the southern kingdom and then kept going another day's journey into the Negev desert. He sat under a bush and prayed that he would die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, I'm no better than those who have gone before. And then he lay down the under the bush and he fell asleep. Elijah did not want to wake up from that sleep. He was done. He wanted his life to end. Now many of you know that I work as a local GP. Every week I see people who are experiencing symptoms similar to what Elijah is experiencing. And it might even be arising from circumstances like Elijah's, threats of violence, fear for one's life and well-being. And I recognize that for many of us here today to speak of these things publicly, it can touch on some sensitive areas in our hearts. 
Life in this broken world is rough. Fear and worry, sadness and despair, trauma from various causes, these are common experiences in our lives. And each of them can have devastating impacts on the human soul. It's important we pause and acknowledge these things. We don't gather each Sunday immune to these realities of life. No, each of us comes with a whole lot going under the surface. Feelings, experiences, broken relationships that we have not yet fully processed. And one of the reasons for including this particular story in this series is so that we have an opportunity to see what the Lord does with someone like Elijah or someone like us who is afraid and overwhelmed and despairing and would prefer for their life to end. What does the Lord do with someone like that? He sees, he comes near, he gently restores his broken children. And we're going to see three aspects of how the Lord does this for Elijah. The Lord's provision. Look at the end of, the, of verse 5. The Lord provides for him. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. All at once, the Lord does not delay to provide help for his broken children. Now, there is a wonderful gentleness in how Elijah is cared for here. Life is simplified to bread and water, food and sleep. And an angel is there to be physically present, keeping him safe as he restores his strength. Now, this is a masterclass in how to care for a traumatized person. You are not alone. I'm here with you. You are seen and safe and soothed. You can rest. Safety, food, sleep, presence, all of them are so important that they're emphasized again in verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. Now let's put this in a modern context. <clears throat> I'm a big Hamish Blake fan, and I often tune into his podcast, How Other Dads Dad. And at the end of each interview, they will share an example of gold star, A-plus, top-shelf dadding. And this example I heard the other day is very cool. A boy was having a rough time at school due to some nasty bullies. And lunchtime was the worst, and he was pretty cut up about it. So the next day, just before lunchtime, his dad drives up and parks in the car park. And his boy sneaks out, they sit in the car, they eat sandwiches together, and at the end of lunchtime, the boy sneaks back into school. Now, this dad came every day for the next six weeks. 
And then one day the boy said, Dad, I think I'm okay now. You don't need to come tomorrow. But thanks for being there for me when I needed you. This dad is top class. He doesn't step into being Mr. Fix-It. He knows his son needed his dad just to be present, providing a safe place for the boy to gradually restore his strength. Back to our story. Elijah's body restores its strength, but the Lord knows a deeper work is needed. The healing of his soul would require a direct encounter with the Lord himself. Look at verse 8. Strengthened by that food, Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. So the Lord's presence. As Mary read this, this part of Elijah's story, you would have heard echoes of week four of our series, Exodus 34, Moses on the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, the mountain of God, a cave or a cleft in the rock where the prophet was hidden, a conversation with the Lord, the Lord's presence passing by. Let's see how the story unfolds for Elijah in 1 Kings 19. The Lord asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Yahweh often asks questions like that. But when he does, he's not asking for information because he knows all things. He's inviting us to share and to put into words some of those deep rumblings of our souls. And we see Jesus doing the same thing in the Gospels when he meets people and asks them, what would you like me to do for you? And in some ways, whenever we come to the Lord in prayer, he asks versions of these same questions. What are you doing here today? What would you like me to do for you today? Now, Elijah's response shows that there are still some raw wounds in his heart. I've been zealous for you. The people have scattered. My fellow prophets are dead. I'm the only one left. And now they want to kill me too. Elijah's body might have restored its strength, but his heart is still bruised and his soul is still restless. For deep healing to happen for any one of us, we need to be present in the presence of the Lord. Verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now again, we hear echoes of Exodus 34. We're meant to have verse 6 of that chapter ringing in our ears as we read this story. The Lord, compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. It's the same Lord as the one revealed to Moses. But for Elijah, the circumstances are a little different. First comes the strong wind, powerful enough to tear mountains apart and shatter rocks, and then an earthquake and a fire. But it was the gentle whisper that coaxed Elijah out of his cave. What did Elijah need to hear? What do you and I need to hear from the Lord? That the Lord is the almighty creator, stronger than any of these forces of nature? We need to know that. Or is it the gentle whisper, the voice of the Lord who invites us into relationship with him? Now, I mentioned before um, some of my work as a GP. Sometimes a patient comes in who has lost their voice. And you might have had that experience. And as they whisper their words, some changes happen to your own behavior. You start putting away distractions. You look into their face. You lean in. You come close. You give them their full attention. The gentle whisper draws people in. I saw a tweet the other day. It says, lies are loud, but the truth, it's simply spoken. The noise of our world or the noise of our soul may be so loud that we do not hear the simple truth of Yahweh's whisper. Now, there are spiritual practices that can help us here. Ancient ones like Sabbath and silence and solitude. Or maybe modern ones like a digital detox for a full month. These practices help us to turn off all that other noise, to lean in, to sit with the Lord, to open his word and hear him whisper those words of truth and life. The Lord's providence, his compassionate and purposeful oversight of all the circumstances of the world. Did you notice that verse 13 and 14 are identic identical to verses 9 to 10? Despite the presence of the Lord passing over Elijah, it apparently did not break what was in his soul. Elijah's heart is still heavy. And so Yahweh encourages him with details of his providence. Elijah, remember your name. Yahweh is God. My purposes and plans will not be thwarted. I will raise up a foreign king. I'll raise up an Israelite king. I'll raise up a successor for you. And through these three leaders, I will deal with the idolatry in the land. And by the way, you are not the last man standing. I have 7,000 others in Israel who remain faithful to me. Now, the sheer number of 7,000 believers would have been an encouragement for Elijah. But for a Hebrew mind, there was even more meaning in what these numbers symbolized. 
In the Bible, seven and 1,000 each carry a sense of completeness and wholeness. And when you multiply them together, you have complete completeness. Elijah, I have my people. I know them by name. You're a member of a family of faithful believers. You are not alone. So what are Elijah's faithful next steps? His six weeks in the desert is over. He's met with the Lord and experienced his provision and presence and providence. His name has been restored. Yahweh is God. Elijah is ready for the next stage in his journey of believing obedience. And the first thing he does is find Elisha. What an encouragement for Elijah to see this young Elisha responding with such wholeheartedness and devotion. Elijah stands by and waits patiently while Elisha closes a chapter on his former way of life and then steps out in faith as an apprentice to Elijah. Elisha says goodbye to his father and mother, honouring them for who they've been to him. He says goodbye to his former work, sacrificing his oxen and burning all his farming tools. He says goodbye to his people, feeding them generously with the meat from the sacrifice. And then in verse 21, it says he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. So what do we see of the Lord Jesus in these Elijah stories? Here are a few glimpses that I got along the way. You might have others. We see Jesus in the Gospels, also alongside the weary and despairing, offering hope as he gently restores them back to life and connection with others. Mark 1.13 tells us how Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the desert being tempted by Satan and angels attended him. His encounter, though, was not with the Lord, but with the adversary. We remember how the Lord Jesus stands as the one faithful human being in the entire human race the lone prophet. We remember how Jesus exposed the powerlessness of idolatry. There were many spiritual showdowns in the Gospels as he confronted the religious idolatry of the Pharisees or the rampant evil of demonic powers. And we know that the cross of the Lord Jesus was the greatest of all spiritual showdowns where sin and death were rendered powerless forever and victory was achieved for all who believe. But then even after that, we see Elijah and Jesus both given apprentices who would continue their mission even after they were raised up in their unique ways. There's so many glimpses of the Lord Jesus when we look for them. So let's bring things to a conclusion. 
How does the Lord want you and I to respond to this particular story and the truths that are in it? Now, the Holy Spirit will be highlighting something for each one of us. His gentle whisper will make it clear to you. And my encouragement is, whatever he is saying, do it. Do it with faith and with a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. A few questions to help. Are you weary and burdened? The Lord says to you, rest and enjoy. You might have simply heard these words as Mary was reading them out. Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. They are the words of a kind father who knows his child is tired. And may I encourage you also with the words of the Lord Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. A second question, is your heart divided? The Lord says to you, resolve and obey. You might love the Lord, but you are also trying to make life work your own way. By trusting your performance, or trusting your bank account, or your super fund, or a particular person in your life, your heart is divided. You are trusting in an idol. May I challenge you with the words of Elijah. We didn't read them earlier, but they are from chapter 18. He says to all the people on Mount Carmel, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Don't waver. Resolve in your heart whom you are worshipping and obey. A third question that might be relevant. Are you passionate for the Lord, but frustrated that everyone around you does not share your zeal in your way? The word to you is to be encouraged. Keep serving. May I remind you that the Lord has his purposes. Yahweh has his people. There are 7,000 faithful ones. The Lord is at work in and through each one. We need to let the Lord run the world and not try to do it ourselves. Just simply look to him and seek to be faithful in those things he gives for you and I to do. A last question. Are you amazed by what you've seen of the Lord in this story or in the Lord Jesus? will be encouraged and keep worshipping. Yahweh is God. Jesus is Lord. Let's be wholehearted in our devotion to him. I like finishing with some words from the New Testament. So we'll finish with these ones from Philippians, reminding us of the Lord Jesus who is now Lord of all. It says he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your word to us. Thank you that we are not in a famine, but your word is near us. Thank you that you've spoken to us through this story of Elijah, given us permission to come to you weary and burdened and just receive what we need. Thank you that you provide safe places for that to happen, for us to restore our strength and our hope. But we know that our hearts are vulnerable to be worshipping things that are not you. So we pray for your convicting work of the Spirit, that you might reveal to us those danger zones for us, those idols that we are tempted by, perhaps those idols that we are captured by right now. Please help us to not have a divided heart, but to have a whole heart that is committed and fully devoted to you. Thank you for the encouragement that you are running the world and we don't have to. Help us to rest in that and trust you. But thank you for the privilege of giving us particular things that you would like us to do so that you can do your wonderful life-giving work in us and through us and we can be a blessing to those that are near. Help us to look to you and live this week in your strength and for your glory. Amen.